reflect upon this study, uh, one of the questions that came to my mind was, what is worship? As a former teacher, I like to uh, look up the definition of words in order to get a better understanding of them. And so I looked up the definition of the word worship in Webster's Dictionary, and it was defined generally as the reverent honor and homage paid to a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred. And the word reverent means feeling, exhibiting, or characterized by a deep respect, which is often accompanied by awe, meaning wonder, and devotion. So worship is a deeply respectful honor and homage given often with a sense of awe or wonder to a person or an object regarded as sacred. And this deep and respectful honor is also done with great devotion, meaning that it is done with a profound dedication or consecration to the person or thing being worshipped. Now, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary brings the meaning of worship closer to home for us as believers because it defines worship as the reverent devotion and allegiance pledged to God. And I thought it interesting that it also noted that the English word worship comes from the Old English word worthship, W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P, which speaks of the worthiness of the one receiving the special honor or devotion. So worship is not just words or a physical position or a song or a way to fill in time at church. You know, it's a very special time of giving focused and respectful honor and reverence to the one and only true and living God who is revealed in the scriptures and who is worthy of all of our praise and honor. It's a time when we demonstrate and we express our deep feelings of love and devotion for him and of wonder and thankfulness for the things that he does. Psalm 96 verses 1 to 4 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Psalm 95 verses 1 to 3 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. Yet there are still some people, and us included at times, who come to a church service and they proceed to talk through the whole time of worship. Instead of using that time to put aside the cares of the day and to come before the Lord and to express our feelings of love for him through song, to truly focus on the Lord and to ask him to prepare our hearts to receive the teaching of the word. And so tonight, we want to learn how to pray with worship. But 
before we can pray with worship, we need to look at worship from three perspectives. First of all, I believe it's important that we ask ourselves, what or who do we worship? Second, what should be the motivations of our worship? And third, what are the ways we can pray with worship? But before we get into our study, let's pray. Father, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we just give you thanks for this study on worship, Lord. And um, Father, I just pray that you would work into our hearts and in our minds, Lord. Teach us how to truly appreciate who you are and all that you do for us, Lord. Help us to worship you in truth, Lord, and in sincerity of heart. Help us to worship you with thankfulness, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us this evening, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and change us, Lord. Help us to worship you in a better way. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin our study by asking ourselves, what or who do we worship? As I said before, worship is the reverent devotion and allegiance pledged to God. Now, as Christians, we worship only the true and living God that's revealed in the scriptures, who's comprised of three persons in one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is therefore very important that we read and we study the scriptures daily to learn about our God, to learn about his character, his attributes, his commandments, his promises, his will for our lives. But we must also understand that not everyone in the world worships the same God, even though they may claim to. You know, some people say that there's one God, but many ways to reach him. And they use the metaphor of a mountain and God's on top of the mountain and everybody can climb up the mountain any which way they want to, as long as they get to him. And, you know, but this is not what Jesus proclaimed. You know, Jesus in John fourteen six told Thomas, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. Jesus here is not. He's not proclaiming many ways to God, but just one way through him. Now, either Jesus was telling the truth or he's a liar. And so each one of us has to decide that for ourselves. Other people believe that everyone who believes in God believes in the same God, but they just call him by different names. But this is not true either. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God, but they believe that he is the Archangel Michael in the flesh. The Muslims don't believe that God had a son. And in their own Quran, it, uh, it says, he, meaning God, begets not, nor was he begotten. And then another place in the Quran, it says, and to warn those who say Allah has begotten a son, no knowledge have they of such a thing, nor had their fathers. Mighty is the word that comes out of their mouths. They utter nothing but a lie. So Jesus to them is just considered as one of the great prophets. So we need to be very careful 
when you know we gather with other people and they start talking about God and they believe in the same God, you know, you have to check and be sure that that's true. We need to be good Bereans, as Pastor X always exhorts us. We need to search the scriptures to see who we really should be worshiping. During the uh, first week of April, I had the privilege of spending eight days in Santa Fe and Albuquerque, New Mexico, the state where my mother was born and raised. And I had a wonderful time, and I went with a high school friend of mine, and we enjoyed the warm hospitality of the people there and the beautiful landscape, the terrain, the cultures, uh, shopping for silver and turquoise jewelry, um, and we ate a lot of red and green chili at every meal. And the sopa pias, ay, 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 they were so good. And I know they're bad for you, but they, I was on vacation, okay? <laughs> but as we toured the cities and visited various places, you know, I was constantly confronted by the different belief systems uh, that's now present and increasing in both cities. You know, the faith systems in these cities uh, used to be predominantly Catholic and uh, Native American Indian. But now you have Muslims living there and owning some of those shops. And the Asian culture seems to be growing. And the New Agers are even more prevalent. Uh, the New Agers have even taken over that chapel of Loretto, uh, which was surprising to me. And um, the friend of mine who went with me, she's Catholic. And we were going to go on a little tour of the city. And so I said, you know, she saw that they were having a mass at the chapel of Loretto. And she said, uh, yeah, I'm just going to pop in and see if I can um, partake of communion. And I said, okay. I said, I'm going to go over here and get the tickets, and I'll wait for you outside. So I go get the tickets, and I come back, and she's standing outside already. And I was like, wow, that was quick. And she said, um, oh, I walked in there. She goes, first, they didn't want me to go in. And I told them, they said, oh, this is a mass. And she goes, all I know, I want to go to mass. And uh, so then, then she walked in, and she said they had a, 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 women, a woman priest who was celebrating with a man priest. And then they started talking about, when they were praying, they were talking about uh, something about, you know, all of nature is together and we're, you know, all one and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, no. So she, she beelined it out of there. And uh, we found out later on that that, uh, uh, that church um, was deconsecrated as a Catholic church. But this group claimed to be Catholics. They said they were a separate little group of Catholics. And so, uh, I mean, you have to be careful. You know, here my friend went in there thinking it was a Catholic church, and it wasn't. We also visited um, some historical sites uh, and various other places, and I saw various things that people worshipped. You know, for example, we went into another Catholic church in Santa Fe, and I saw things that were prominently displayed on a side altar. And um, they included a small fragment of a piece of wood, and it said that it was part of the cross of Jesus. 
You know, people were going up to it going, oh. And I was standing there going, hmm. That's not right. You know, in another display case, they had a fragment from one of Mary's aprons. You know, and again, I was like, really? You know, another one was a tooth of one of the saints, you know. And, and these things were considered sacred because they were, they were displayed on the altar. So it, it had importance. On our way to Taos, which is a city that's uh, north of Santa Fe, we went to go visit a large Indian pueblo up there, but we got there, it was closed. Um, so she wanted to go see this other church, um, uh, El Santuario de Chimayo. And it's a Catholic church where many people go for healing. And supposedly, as legend has it, a monk was walking on a piece of land and he was praying prayers of penance. And uh, he said that he suddenly saw a light coming from the ground. And so he went to the spot where the light was shining and uh, he started to dig around there to see what was creating this light. And he found a crucifix. So he took it back to his monastery Well, the next day, it was gone. And uh, he went back to the place where he found it, and there it was, buried again. And so, um, long story short, this happened two or three times, but then they decided to build a small church over this spot. And, um, And then people later on started claiming that they were healed by the dirt in this hole that they were, they created. And so today, when you go over there, there is a small church, and in this, there's a small room to the left of the altar. And in there, you go in there, and yep, there's a hole right there. And people are going in there, and they're, you know, you can buy a little plastic container, of course, at the gift shop for some dirt, and you put your dirt in there and take it home, I guess, and uh, whatever you need healing for. Um, and I was just like astounded. I was just like, really? I, I just couldn't believe it. And then there's another room adjacent to that room, and it's got, it's just loaded with crutches and wheelchairs and canes and people claiming to have been healed, and they've left their, you know, these things there. Um, but as I saw all of this stuff, you know, I couldn't help but feel sad that the people were worshiping the creation instead of the creator. You know, they considered sacred a small fragment of wood and a small piece of cloth. They looked to the dirt for healing instead of to Jehovah Rapha, who is the God who heals. You know, they made the things of nature. And we saw some Indian things also, the dream catchers, and they had all these statues of different uh, animals and stuff that they worshipped. And so, you know, they, they, made, they made the things of nature their gods instead of allowing the things of nature to lead them to the worship of our great and mighty God. Psalm 97.7 says, Let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. God declared in Psalm 81, 9, there shall be no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. 
Paul, in speaking to the Romans about the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, declared in Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Then in verses 22 and 23, he continues, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And then in verse 25, he finishes by saying, Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Jesus' question to his disciples is still valid for us today. He asked his disciples in Matthew sixteen fifteen, but who do you say that I am? And we need to ask ourselves, who is the God that I worship? Who, why do I worship him? What do I know about him? And we need to be careful not to worship idols of any kind. You know, as Christians, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is revealed in the scriptures. In Exodus fifteen eleven, Moses and the children of Israel sang, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? In Isaiah 45, 5, Yahweh declared, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no other God besides me. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other and in Isaiah 45, 21-22, Yahweh again declares, <clears throat> And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. So this is the God that we worship, the God revealed in the scriptures, a mighty God who does wonders, a creator God who created all things, a saving God who provides a free way of salvation for anyone who will accept it, and a loving God who desires a personal relationship with each and every one of us. This brings us to our second point. What should be the motivations for our worship? Well, there are probably many things that fill our heart with the desire to worship God. But tonight, I just want to look at three of them. Love, God's holiness, and thankfulness. So first of all, let's look at our desire to worship God because of love. You know, love of God should stir our hearts to worship. And just as in any relationship, the more we get to know God, the more we grow to love him and to appreciate who he is and the more we want to spend time with him and talk to him you know as a catholic i went to church every sunday out of obligation and under the threat of committing sin if i didn't go so i was going to church out of fear 
of the consequences of not going to church. But later on, as I understood my faith better, then I was going to worship God. But God, for some reason, was always up there, and I was always down here. And because my faith was works-based, I would often get frustrated because I could never be good enough. But when I came to Calvary Chapel, I truly felt the love of God from the moment I entered the front doors at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, where I first uh, started uh, attending church. And here at Pasadena, especially, you know, the person I'll never forget, the person who greeted me at the door when I first came in, treated me as though she had known me all my life. You know, and I just, I felt so welcomed and so loved. And as I began to read and study the scriptures, I began to know God in a whole different way. You know, he was no longer up there, but now he's right next to me. He's in my heart, you know, and I learned that I would never be sinless, but God would help me to sin less. I learned that Jesus, by dying on the cross for me personally, had paid the penalty for all of my sins, past, present, and future. I learned that Jesus loves me, Noreen Rubio, a sinner, a little Mexican gal from East L.A., he loves me unconditionally and with an everlasting love. I learned that Jesus was offering me the gift of salvation, which was a free gift. I didn't have to do anything to have it, and I gladly accepted it. I learned that I am now part of the family of God, and God gave me all of you with whom to serve and worship him. And all this and more motivated me and continues to motivate me today to come to church and to worship God out of great love for him. God's love for each one of us is so deep that we will never fully understand it. And it's a never-ending well that should motivate us to desire to worship him. John said in 1 John 4:19, "We love him because he first loved us." Psalm 5:7 using the New Living Translation says, "Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. With deepest awe, I will worship at your temple." Psalm 138:2 says, "I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness." And your truth. Second, let's look at our desire to worship God because of his holiness. Again, Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary describes holiness as one of the unique characteristics of God's nature. And it speaks of his righteous nature, of his moral and ethical wholeness or perfection. It speaks of his freedom from moral evil. And the word holy comes from the Greek word hagios, which means clean, pure, chaste, and blameless. So our God is perfectly righteous and without sin. He's different from his creation. And so we are motivated to worship him because he is higher than we are. He is perfect, and thus he's worthy of all of our praise. 
And the scriptures confirm this in Exodus 15:11, where Moses and the children of Israel sing a song of praise to the Lord and ask, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Hannah, in her prayer to God, exclaimed in 1 Samuel 2.2, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Even God himself spoke to Moses about his holiness and said in Leviticus 10.3, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. And not only is God holy, but he declares in the scriptures that his name is holy. And so his name is to be reverenced, to be respected, and to be held in high honor. And God has revealed his many names in scripture, and his names, as we know, reveal his character. For example, in Genesis 14.20, his name is revealed as El Elyon, God Most High. And that describes God as the sovereign ruler of all the universe. He's in control of all things. In Genesis 17, verses 1 to 3, his name is revealed as El Shaddai, Almighty God, which speaks of his might and his power. There is nothing too difficult for him to accomplish. In Genesis 15, 2, his name is revealed as Adonai, meaning Lord or Master, signifying his lordship over us. When Abraham used that name for God, he was fully submitting himself to God. And when we use the name Lord, we are expressing that we belong to Jesus and we are in total submission to him. In Genesis twenty-two fourteen, God's name is revealed as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides As God provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice, so God provides for our needs as well. And finally, in Exodus 15, 26, his name is revealed as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals, describing his ability to heal all of our infirmities, emotional, physical, and spiritual. No illness is too difficult for him to heal if it's his will to do so. And God has other names, but I'm going to let you dig those out. King David declared in Psalm 30, verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Psalm 33, 21 says, For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Psalm 111.9 says, Speaking of the Lord, he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. And so God's holiness, his perfection, his pureness should motivate us to worship him. And his names should motivate us to worship him because they speak of his character and of his attributes. Third, let's look at our desire to worship God because of thankfulness. You know, one of the greatest uh, motivations, I believe, to worship God should be our thankfulness 
for all that he does for us. And as Christians, we should seek to develop an attitude of gratitude. And I've said this often because genuine gratefulness can only come from a heart that is humble and yielded to the Lord. It comes from a heart that has been redeemed. Each and every day, many things occur for which we can be thankful. You know, we can give the Lord thanks for just another day of life, for the gift of salvation, for our faith, for his word, for our family and friends, for our church and church leaders, for our freedom as Americans so far, for our health, for our finances, for our homes and possessions, and on and on the list can go. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Our worship for the Lord should also entail thankfulness for who he is, for all of his attributes, for his love for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, for sending Jesus to die in our place, for the Holy Spirit in our lives, for all of his creation, for his grace, his mercy, his love, his patience, his long-suffering, and so much more. We have so much to be grateful for. And the scriptures are full of prayers of thanksgiving. For example, Psalm 138.2 says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. Psalm 118.1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endures forever. Psalm 79.13 says, So we, your people and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. And Psalm 107.8 declares, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful Wonderful works to the children of men. All that the Lord is and all that he does should motivate us daily to worship him out of love because of his holiness and his holy name and because we are so thankful for who he is and for all that he does for us. And this brings us to the third and the last section of our study. What are the ways we can pray with worship? As we search the scriptures, we find that there are many different ways that people prayed with worship. But because of time restraints, I'm just, I just want to look at five. Okay? So one way of showing reverence to the Lord was to bow as they worshiped and prayed. You know, the children of Israel either bowed their head or they prostrated themselves before the Lord. In Genesis 24:26, Abraham's servant was sent to find a wife for Isaac from Abraham's kindred. And when he had found Rebekah in answer to his prayer to God, verse 26 says that, quote, he bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 29:20 at the end of King David's life and after he had made all the preparations necessary for the building of the temple by his son Solomon King David prayed to the Lord in thanksgiving and in verse 20 it says then David said to all the congregation 
Now bless the Lord your God. So all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord. And we too can show our humility and reverence to God when we pray by bowing our heads, which is usually what we do in church. And at home, we can prostrate ourselves before the Lord as well. And I don't know if you've ever tried to do it, but um, I do it periodically, and it's just a humbling experience. I mean, there's nothing like getting your nose to the ground and recognizing who God is and who I am and just, just to be able to praise him and thank him for so many things. A second way that people prayed with worship was to sing their praises to the Lord. You know, in Exodus 15, after Moses and the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea, they sang a song of worship to the Lord. And they declared in verses 1 and 2, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And today, you know, we're so blessed because we have so many rich worship songs, which we sing here at church, or we can play on the radio, or whatever media we're using. You know, and we can sing these songs anywhere and anytime. You know, in the shower, in the car, while we're gardening, uh, just anywhere. And even Paul and Silas, they sang worship songs to the Lord from their prison cell. You know, worship songs can relate to God, our feelings and our sentiments in ways um, that we can't uh, sometimes, you know, Sometimes we find it difficult. For example, I remember a time when I was going through a very difficult situation, and I used to play a, a, a worship song, which uh, Sam's group used to sing all the time. And I'd play it in my car as I drove to work. And this song just really expressed the brokenness that my heart was feeling. And I couldn't express it to God, but this song just did it. And so I would pray it and I would try to sing it, but I never quite got through it because I'd always end up crying. Um, but I loved it and that, you know, we had this available that I could, I could express it to the Lord. Um, so it was a good way to pour out my heart to him. And eventually he did heal my brokenness and it was awesome. Third, we can also pray the scriptures in pray the scriptures in worshiping the Lord. You know, the Psalms were songs which King David and others wrote, not only to praise the Lord and thank him, but also to express to God their feelings. And so we can read through the scriptures or we can read through the Psalms and we can offer that to God as our worship. Or they can become at least vehicles to lead us into worship. You know, for example, we can pray Psalm 105, verses 1 to 5, which says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. 
talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. You know, these verses have so much food for thought, you know, and they can help lead us into worship. You know, we can think about all that God has done for us. We can think about his wondrous works. We can think about his strength and his might or his righteous judgments, and we can praise him for all of these things. Fourth, we can also pray with worship as we play a musical instrument. You know, musical instruments were often used in the scriptures in worship. For example, Second Chronicles 5.12, the Ark of the Covenant was brought by the Levites into the uh, newly built temple, uh, which Solomon built. And they were going to place the, the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies. And so they placed it in there, and as the priests were exiting uh, the Holy of Holies, verse 12 says, And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. You know, verse 14 goes on to tell us that as a result of their worship, the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And I just thought, wow, that must have been an amazing time of worship. And there are times here in the church when worship just, you know, affects our hearts so much. And we just want to stand up. I don't know about you. I want to stand up and raise my hands. Um, as one speaker, I think at a luncheon once said, you know, when she raised her hands, she was trying to touch Jesus' hand. And she was just raising him up like a small child, you know, get me, come get me, you know, hold me. And And worship does that for us. You know, it just brings us into God's presence. And it it just fills our heart with his love and joy. And finally, Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that the best worship we can give to the Lord is to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the prophet Samuel also reminded the Israelites in 1 Samuel 15, verses 22 and 23. He says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So if you want to worship the Lord, let's worship him by making our lives that living sacrifice, by not being conformed to the world, by being obedient, by obeying his commandments, 
and obeying his voice. You know, we indeed want to pray with worship, but we must never forget that our greatest worship does entail that obedience to the Lord and our willingness to allow him to change us from the inside out. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, Lord. And we just thank you, Father, for this study. And I just pray, Father, that you would continue to minister um, your word to our hearts and our minds, Lord. Help us to be women of worship. Help us to never tire of thanking you and praising you and glorifying you, Lord, day by day. And teach us to have those yielded hearts, Lord, always humble before you, Lord, to know that you are our mighty God and we serve you. And so, Father, I pray for each and every woman here present, Lord, that you would continue to work in her and through her, Lord. I pray for traveling mercies for all of us, Father. And I pray especially for the retreat, Lord. I pray that your hand would be upon every aspect of it, every woman who's going, Lord. I pray that you would remove the obstacles, Lord, that you would heal those who are sick, Lord, and just get everybody there safe and sound. And we thank you especially, Lord, for the work you're about to do in their hearts, Lord. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.